Welcome to the Leadership Now podcast with Dr. Aaron Rock. Aaron has served as a pastor, a professor, and a chaplain, and he has a keen interest in helping other Christians to think Christianly about all of life. On this show, we talk about the nuts and bolts of theology, church life, cultural issues, pastoral leadership, ethics, and other relevant matters that will help you lead better now. I'm your host, Chris Yeoman. And on the show today, we are going to tackle an American issue and a Canadian issue. We're going to be talking about the U.S. school shooting that just happened this past week, as well as the government's 2023 budget here in Canada. So both of these issues represent the deepening consequences of humanistic attempts to maintain order apart from God. And so they're an important topic for us to cover today. But just before we do that, Aaron, I believe you have an announcement. Yeah, I want to let everybody know that uh, exciting things happening on Easter, and uh, of course we're celebrating the resurrected Christ, but we, uh, we, we've we been privileged to uh, help support the planting of a, of a daughter church in uh, northeastern uh, Texas in the town of Paris, and Harvest Bible Church in Paris is going to have their launch Sunday on Easter Sunday, which is pretty exciting. I wish I could go, but I'm not allowed to cross the border at this point in time because of uh, continued mandates, which are ridiculous. But I just want our audience to be praying for the launch of uh, another faithful church in Texas. Pray for Pastor Andrew Robertson and a couple of his elders, Adam Dyke and Rick Gunther. Quality guys. They love the Lord, and um, they're surrounded by a launch team of about 10 other families very exciting for them to be able to um, plant a vertical church, a church that exists not for the sake of self, but for the glory and honor of the king. If you're in the area or within driving distance, it would be uh, super encouraging for you to pop over and attend their launch service and just encourage them. And um, otherwise, be in prayer for that um, church. It's always exciting when faithful churches in any country, in any context, are, are planted I, th- I think back to the the twenty, almost twenty two years ago, Chris, that we planted this church, and I, I remember the first Sunday we had our minivan. At the time, we had our three little kids in the back. Uh, Levi, I think, was maybe just a few months old, and we had this little four foot by four foot by maybe three and a half foot trailer hooked to the back of our. Uh, our minivan, and that, that that was all of the church's belongings. We had our kids' ministry supplies in there, some speakers and a basic sound system, and we were just so excited to launch that church. And, um, you know, what a blessing it's been. I, I remember when our church—now, uh, this was prior to launch, but I was telling Pastor Andrew this week, I, re- I remember when our church was seven people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, last Sunday there was, um, I think— maybe 1,350 or something in church. It's an average average week. So it's it's neat to see how the Lord has expanded our efforts and keeping things simple, founded on the Word of God, exalting the Lord Jesus Christ, evangelizing the lost, um, being faithful in church discipline, being vertical in your worship, not just singing about God but singing to Him, these are the things that that the Lord will bless. And in different ways, in different contexts, there's no comparison, there's no competition in the kingdom of God relevant to your church size. I, I'd just just be quite as happy uh, just just as happy to pastor a church of of fifty faithful people if that's where the Lord had me. Um, better to pastor the faithful than those that do not want to be faithful to the Lord. But I just want to kind of give them a shout out. A lot of work and efforts gone into it. We miss the members of our church that have moved down there dearly. We love them, but we're we're thankful for their their willingness to take this big step and help to reach another community for Christ. And and I uh, just wanted to put my pastoral highlighter on that and, and and let people know about it. So you can check out their website. I think it's uh, harvestparis.com. Is that right? Yeah, not .ca because no, it's in the states. <laughs> that's true. We're, we're .ca and they're yes. .com. So check that out and just be in prayer for that uh, that new church. Excellent. Well, we've entitled today's episode School Shootings and Food Stamps and kind of mentioned those in the intro. Aaron, can you tell us a little bit more about what we want to cover in this show? Well, we want to discuss 
these two events and mull them over and process them together. I think it's good for us to mull over and process some of the, the big events that happen in life, think through them, think through the implications, think about why they happened and what the, what the ramifications are of these cultural events. But I also want to underline the fact that antichrist ideologies have consequences. This isn't just some theoretical discussion here. When a culture abandons God, when a culture stands in opposition and in defiance to the living God of the universe, when people shake their fists at Christ, when churches refuse to stand for the absolute lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ over his creation, the creation that he has declared himself to be king of kings over, there are consequences. The consequences of a world that is increasingly at enmity with God are evident. The school shooting in Nashville is evidence of a country south of our border that is at enmity with God. The absurdity of the 2023 federal budget is a consequence of a country at enmity with God. So we want to cover these things off and help people to think about the consequences of not standing for Christ and not promoting Christ as Lord over all of life and help people to advocate, encourage people to advocate for Christ in culture. We know what what it's like to advocate for Christ in church, at least I hope we do, but we need to also think about Christ's, the implications of Christ's deity, his lordship over over all of life, over all spheres of life, and how that that blesses people and it restrains evil and it and it and it expands, gives us opportunities to preach the gospel. So that'll be our discussion for today. Okay. Now, what happened in Nashville this week was horrendous and awful. Um, we don't want to dwell on the details uh, for the sake of just. Uh, you know, entertainment or something like that. Right. Certainly not. But can you can you walk us through what we know about it? What's noteworthy, especially about the response of the officials? Sure. Most most of the listeners will know about this event by now. But just just in case, for whatever reason, uh, you missed it. A twenty eight year old woman posing as a man, trying to live, I guess, as a a man entered a, a Christian school in Nashville, shot out the glass in order to get in, so so much for locking the doors of your school, went in and uh, killed, murdered six people, including three nine-year-old children. It's since come out that this shooter, this murderer, who, by the way, was shot dead by, by police, was a former female student living, I guess what they call a transgender life, who, who decide, and it, I was just reading about this an hour or so ago, there's increasing evidence that this individual, Audrey Hale, was being counseled by the pastor of the church and perhaps came to execute the pastor, we don't know for sure, but one of the victims, sadly, was one of the pastor's children, a little girl. And I just want to name the victims to honor them. These aren't just these aren't just six people. These are these are six family members. These are six brothers and sisters in Christ. These are six innocent people. These are six upstanding citizens. There was um, there were three children that were killed: Evelyn Dykehouse, William Kenny or Kinney, perhaps, and Haley Scruggs. And the adults that were killed, and, and by the way, they were all nine years old, pretty young. And the adults that were killed included uh, Cynthia Peake, who was a substitute teacher, Catherine Kuntz, who was the, the principal, the head of the school, and Mike Hill, who was a, a custodian there, all 60 and 61 years, years of age. So Audrey... I don't remember what her dude's name was, but Audrey this um, uh, entered the school 
and killed a bunch of people. Now, apparently, more more would have been killed, except that the the, the teachers locked a bunch of doors, from what I understand, and that was certainly helpful because it probably saved a lot more lives. Apparently, this this Audrey Hale, the shooter, has a history of uh, immaturity. She was attending a, an art college and would bring stuffies to class and would have various um, children's stickers stuck on her 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 laptop, according to one of her her friends or or at least classmates suffered from some sort of what they call an emotional disorder. And again, as I mentioned earlier, was apparently receiving some sort of counseling from the pastor of of the church. A despicable act. Six people are dead because of it. Now, I I don't like this language that floats around in culture, transphobia. Um, Islamophobia, all, all these internal fear words that presuppose that somehow they they know your motives, like hate speech. Okay, how do you know what a person's afraid of or what they hate? You judge people by their actions. You don't need to try to climb inside of their heart and say, well, you know, your your crime is that you have hate in your heart. Uh, that that's something we would confront if we saw it in a Christian's life in the context of a church. But increasingly in our culture, if you speak out against something, you're phobic, mm-hmm. which is an emotional word. You are you are hateful, which is an emotional word. I, I'm all for for punishing those that, for example, may call for the death of someone or assault someone or uh, harass someone. But now it's 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 almost like you're guilty for what you purportedly or supposedly feel or your emotion. So I'm not I'm not big into that language. I want to emphasize that. Mm-hmm. But if we if we wanted to use that language and 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 apply it to this situation, where are the politicians and officials using the language Christophobia? I mean, if this was a Muslim school, one hundred percent. For sure, the mainstream media, the President of the United States, the Prime Minister of Canada, Western leaders would be decrying Islamophobia. Mm -hmm. They won't use the language Christophobia. Why? Because they hate Jesus Christ. Let's just say it. They hate Jesus Christ. This is evident from many leaders. They use the Lord Jesus Christ name in vain. Gerald Butts, Justin Trudeau's buddy, I've mentioned this before, who served with him in government recently commented in a joke about Jesus having two dads. This is this is disgusting language. And kind of like a ha ha ha, Jesus would support the transgender movement or same sex marriage or whatever the implications of that might be. You would never, never hear a politician say that about Muhammad the prophet. I mean, there would be absolute outrage from the Islamic community and other non-Muslims would call you out for that. But it's it's always fair game to use Jesus' name in vain. And the focus is on, well, it was a school. Well, what about the fact that this was a Christian school mm-hmm. that certainly, most certainly factors into this, this demonic deed? And it, it raises a lot of questions, Chris. Like, where were the parents in all of this? This person was 28 years old. This wasn't a child that that entered the school. This was a, a ma- supposedly mature adult. Where, where were the parents in all this? Where's their culpability uh, in 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 all of this? We live in a culture of death. What do we expect is going to be the the consequence of generations and generations being taught Darwinian evolution? That you, there, there's nothing that the, behind Darwinian evolution is the claim that Chris, you and I are just biological biotic beings this is a, this is all there is bro there's nothing beyond this you're not made in the imago dei i'm not made in the imago dei you're just meat and bone and mineral you're here for a period of time and you die it's the christian worldview elevates the status of the human being all other worldviews denigrate it in some way shape or form we live in a culture of death this is why you can justify medical assistance in dying. This is why you can justify infanticide 
in the womb. This is a massive problem in, in our culture. We also are dealing with this whole nauseating emphasis on transgenderism. I was thinking this morning how going, going back into even the 1990s when I was in, in college, thinking this just was a completely non-issue. Like Nobody was talking about this. This Yesterday I was at a gas station. We had a meeting late here at the church, and uh, I was at a gas station le- leaving town, and I saw this individual walking into the gas station. I took a double take. It's a man, probably taller than me, probably six foot two, six foot three, with a woman's hairdo with makeup on, you know, big ball glove hands, and wearing this little, uh, I don't know what you'd call it, like a, a pink short dress and high heels. And they were accompanied by another man that looked like a man, baseball hat, jeans, and a, I don't know what he was wearing. But I just thought to myself, I, I, I kind of glanced at the left and the right because there, st- there was a store clerk. I could see them through the glass as I was pumping gas. There was a couple other people. This is just normal. Well, in the 1990s, the, the first thing you do is call the police because you'd think that someone escaped from the psychiatric hospital. But this is this has been normalized in our our culture to the point that the vast majority of politicians support this stuff. And if you think back to the the early days of the the Pride movement, I, I remember it. I, I remember when this when when homosexuality started to be discussed more and more in culture, and the. The, the big word at the time was accept. We need to accept it, accept it, accept it. We're, we're told through television shows and political speeches and from the pulpits of heretical churches, accept, 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 accept. And after a while, people sort of threw up their hands and said, okay, we'll, we'll accept it. Well, that wasn't enough. After that, there was a push for equality, especially in the area of marriage. We want equal rights. We want, we want the right to marry, I think it was in t- 2005 in Canada that the same sex laws, or at least in Ontario, the same sex marriage laws came into effect. So we go from accept us to we want equality. We want to hijack what innately is a heterosexual institution according to the word of God and make it something else. So now we have quote unquote equality in marriage. Well, that still hasn't been enough. That still wasn't enough. So now then they, they get the hate speech laws. And now, now there's like legal threats. If you disagree, if you question, if you push back against the agenda, we're not talking about killing people or harassing them or committing actual criminal acts, just having a conversation. You're a hater. You're, you're a hate, hate speech. You're phobic. This is the rhetoric that we see, and then the pronouns. Then we change reality. Language represents reality. How do you speak if you can't agree on pronouns? They hijack the English language, and now we have pronouns. And some people are forced to add pronouns to their email signatures in order to maintain their job or post it on their social media to virtue signal. And then that wasn't enough. Uh, now, now we have trannies, drag queens, um, dancing in front of little children and and writing books that are on the shelves of our public indoctrination centers, previously known as public schools. I wonder what the next step's going to be. So this this is the 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 slippery slide into sin. It's never enough. And the the reason, by the way, that if people wonder, like, what is the ultimate? reason behind this. I can tell you what the ultimate reason is. It's shame. Innate to every human heart is is the, the knowledge that this is this is not right. Hmm. This is sinful. And it's if you're sinning and you want to sin and you're you're caught in shame, then what do you do? You either repent and you you live in accordance with God's word, or you say, hey, I need you to accept me. And then once I accept you, well I need you to treat me as my 
equal. And then once you treat me as your equal, well, I want legal standing. I want society to affirm my lifestyle choices in law. Because when you affirm something in law, there's innately this understanding it's somehow connected to God's law. So if I can get civilization to accept it, then maybe God will accept it. Then they borrow our language, and if you speak out against them, then then you are phobic, you are you are hateful, you're a bad person. And then when you give into that, and you you permit a person to live that way, and you affirm it in law, well, then they want they want the podium, they want the microphone, they want the office of the official. They want to now promote their agenda. But every single night when they lay their head on their pillow, they know they're living in sin. They know this is contrary to God's law. They know this is contrary to reality. It's contrary to reality. Isn't it fascinating that in uh, Genesis chapter 3, as we look at the interchange between the serpent and the man and the woman, Satan comes first and he kind of questions God's law. And when he knows they start to fudge a little bit in terms of what God's laws actually were, he just flat out denies it and then puts words in God's mouth and accuses God of wrongdoing. He's trying to reshape reality. God's word shapes reality and reflects reality. When God says we're made in the image and likeness of God, it's because we are. When God says I made them male and female, it's because we are made male and female. And that's that's part of what we would call reality. It's concrete. It's binary. It's it's absolute. But the devil wants to reshape reality. He wants us. He wants man to be made in in his image, or man to claim that they're made in their their own image. We don't need God. So these are some of the things that we see, and we need to acknowledge this is not fundamentally a political battle. It's fundamentally a a religious war. It's an ideological battle. It's a word war. And the worst thing we can do is to twist God's word like the serpent did or ignore and deny the consequences as the serpent convinced Adam and Eve to do. We have to speak the truth in love. And our love, our first love must be Christ. Mm-hmm. We speak the truth in love in love for God and in love for our fellow man who is caught in sin's dread sway and speak the truth so that they can be uh, convicted of their sin and come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I also want to just comment on some things that are taking place in culture I don't know Audrey Hale. I don't know what they were doing the night before, the week before, but I have a pretty good suspicion of what they might have been doing because I know what a lot of people are doing with their time that contributes to this culture of death. They're playing video games. They're playing video games that glorify death. Mm. You know, increasingly... We have this glorification of of death in culture, even in sports. I'm probably going to step on some toes. I'm not afraid, or or in any way, shape or shape or form, concerned about sports where there's strikes laid, where there's hand to hand combat, where there's hearty competition. But increasingly, we have sports that have somehow been accepted by the Christian mind that actually brings violence and destruction to another human body. Take UFC, for example. And again, this is where I'm going to step on some toes. When you're on a baseball uh, diamond and you you swing the bat, you drive your ball out into left field or right field or center field or over the fence or, you know, you, you bunt it out toward the pitcher or the shortstop, someone could get hurt, but the object of the game is not to inflict damage on another person. The object is get around the bases and um, get home and score a win for your team. Same with hockey. You could get hurt in hockey. You know, you're checking, you're jostling in, you know, up close to the boards. Maybe you take a slap shot and you mistakenly hit someone in the shin or whatnot. But there are some sports out there that are 
the intention is to bring damage to the body of the other person who's made in the image and likeness of God. That's wrong. And it needs to be it needs to be identified as such by God's people. Um, but we live in a culture that thinks this is okay, a culture of violence where we can destroy another person's mouth, bust another person's nose deliberately. It's the object of the game. Break a person's femur, draw blood, and somehow that's that's a sport. It's dishonoring to the Lord, and it's a, and it's an attack, even if the other person agrees with it, upon the stewardship, the body that that person has. Why is it that society accepts this sort of thing? Well, and by the way, I'm sure there's UFC fights that don't. I, I don't watch UFC, but I'm sure there's some fights that that perhaps don't draw blood. But I think a lot of it does. And. Second to that, we see people playing these video games where, you know, it's like, you know, you're just blowing people apart. Yeah. There's blood splattering everywhere. It glorifies death. Yeah. It makes it normal. And especially for people that aren't restrained by God's word, if a child from the age of six, seven, eight, nine gets acclimatized to taking a machine gun in a virtual world and blowing people away, spending hours. and Video games are incredibly addictive, especially for young men, incredibly addictive. In fact, personally, I, I always advise parents just not to let them in their homes. I know that might sound a bit legalistic. I'm not intending to be legalistic, but I just don't think video games are good for young men. One of my daughters uh, works at a fast food place, and she works with a couple of young men that are in their early to mid-20s, maybe one of them is even in their late 20s, and they said to her, do you play video games? And she said, no. Like, I don't understand. This guy was like, one or two of them, they were shocked. Like, what do you do with your time? I can't imagine. Mm -hmm. They basically go to the, the fast food shop, make food for people, and go home and play video games. They, they admitted it. This is their life. It's incredibly addictive. They're living in this virtual world, this dark world, this non-relational world. They, they lack a, a work ethic. These are men that don't know how to work with your, their hands. They're addicted to violence. They're addicted to isolation. Uh, you know, even if they get on these video games where, um, you know, they're competing with someone else in another city or country, it's incredibly addictive. Mm -hmm. I, I personally don't know of a single mature Christian man that plays a lot of video games. Now, it could be they just hide it from me because <laughs> I speak pretty strongly against it. I have a confession. No, no Chris, confession come here. Come on, no man. confession here. <laughs> I, I just, I, it's something we need to really be incredibly careful about. Mm -hmm. When we were kids, if we did have opportunity to play video games, it was, you know, in television or Pac-Man. And now it's blood and gore. And not to mention the fact, a lot of sexuality in it, mm -hmm. you know, where you got this scantily clad, long-legged woman dressed in her leather and chains out there blowing people apart and you're blowing her apart and yeah. you have you know video games i've just heard about this stuff maybe ca caught a few glimpses of some images here and there in advertisements i've never played any of that stuff but where you know this this um homebody but lives in his parents basement who probably couldn't uh you know lift a, a 50 pound bag of sand is able to pick his uh, video game persona, and he picks this big muscular ogre-like man, and and you know he's able to pick a uh, an opponent, and he picks this you know sexy, overly stylized woman, and they're out there having this big fist fight or knife fight or whatever it might be. Let's just name that for what it is. It's demonic. It's an attack on the image of God. It's violent. There's no redemptive value to that at all at all. I used to tell my kids when they were little, you play video games, it'll turn your brain into oatmeal, you know? <laughs> and, um, you know, it's, I, it's not that our kids never played video games, but we tried to limit it. Mm -hmm. And I just get so angry, in all honesty, it makes me so angry that so many parents refuse to parent their kids and they allow whatever is the latest and the greatest, I'm going to date myself here, but the Xbox or whatever the, the, the Wii, Wii game, um, be the, the, the parent. Um, we've even had to talk to some kids in our church. It's been a little while, but 
there's been a few times when kids have come to the church and I see them playing video games before church starts on their phones. If I see it, I always say something. Mm -hmm. Or some kids standing in the hallway in between services, everyone's fellowshipping and they're playing video games. Think about this. This is, this is so wrong on so many levels. But back to the point I want to make primarily, it's, it breeds a culture of violence. We live in a culture that hates God. And then we have this absurd solution. Okay, let's ban, let's ban guns and assault guns. Now, I don't really care if someone has guns or doesn't have guns. That's about as relevant to me as what kind of knives you have in your drawer. Like, why do I care if you have big knives to cut up turkeys or to butcher deer or to slice your bologna sandwich in half? It's just not really, it's an instrument. Mm -hmm. And a, a gun, just like a knife, is an instrument in the hands of a good or bad person that can be used for good or for bad. We all use knives. Many people use guns for various reasons. Just like cars. A couple years ago in London, Ontario, some knucklehead drove his truck through a crowd of people and killed some people. Planes were flown into the World Trade Center and planes transport people on missionary journeys. These are instruments. They can be used for good or they can be used for evil. And other people can have discussions about how many guns you should have or what kind of license you need to have it or whatever. I don't care about that stuff. I really don't. It's, it's a moot point for me. But what's the first thing the state does when the school shooting happens? Let's break out the signs. Let's ban guns because it's the gun's fault. Okay, who's having a conversation about human sinfulness, about the fact that fewer and fewer people are attending church, mm -hmm. about the fact that more and more people are, are convinced that we, we evolved from the primordial goo according to Darwinian evolution? Who's talking about the potential for roid rage? You know, you take a, a young woman, you start injecting her with testosterone because she wants to transition. Who in the world knows what the consequences of that decision are? Mm. All of these sorts of things, the mainstream media and the elite politicians, they just they don't want to talk about that. They don't want to talk about that. They don't want to talk about the actual causes. The big concern is, oh, we don't want to misgender this person. Like literally, this is an assault on reality. Some group on Twitter, I can't recall the name of it. I think I reposted it, or maybe I commented on it, I don't recall. But um was basically saying, hey, you know, our condolences go to those that were killed, but we just want to really encourage the media not to misgender this person. The shooter, the murderer, mm -hmm. this is their concern that he's going to be misgendered in the media. It's disgusting. Talk about a distraction. Talk about a lack of, of priorities. So that's, those, are my, those are my thoughts on the, the shooting. Our hearts go out to these people. It, it's you know, I'm a father myself. Of course, my kids are all young adults now, but I, I just think to myself, how would I respond if if the life of my nine-year-old daughter was taken? I mean, talk about the 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 temptation to 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 grow bitter and hate, truly hateful and angry at God. These are real temptations that these people are going to have to to face. But we need to pray for the Lord to be gracious and to give them hope and resurrection hope and to to love their enemies while at the same time calling for justice, which are not mutually exclusive. Yeah. So we want to transition now to chatting, if that's a bad word to use yeah, for switching know, subjects. Okay. We want to switch. We want to switch subjects. Slide into another subject. <laughs> um, yeah. Obviously, we can see the, the tie-ins between the shooting, the humanistic anti-God worldview. It's a little bit different when we look at a budget, perhaps. Uh, the Canadian federal government put out a new budget this week. Uh, we're not a show about Canadian economics, but right. what is it about this budget that you wanted to highlight that is relevant to Christians in this discussion? Well, again, if Christ applies to all of life, then he applies to the budget. And there's some very disturbing things in this budget. And, and I know People listen from other places, so we don't need to get hung up on the Canadian budget. But what we see in the Canadian budget here is is not unlike what we see in in the rest of the Western world when when 
godless hedonists and humanists get into power and they start to control the public treasury, which is the taxpayer's money, the money that you worked for, in ways that aren't right. And, and I want to kind of help people to think through these issues from a high-end high level. And when I looked at the, 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 the budget highlights, it, it, really, it really is another indication of how a, a nation that drifts from God's word and God's laws disregards his b- basic biblical principles in areas of finances, how they can just drift into absolute failure. So, you know, the Bible talk. there's basic biblical principles. If a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. Period. You don't work, you don't eat. That's a basic biblical principle. If you're if you're still of working age, you work. You're you you can qualify for benevolent funds from from the church, for example, if you're a widow in your senior years. You know, that's that's in the Bible. Uh, we're called to provide for the orphan, for a, a young person, a child that that doesn't work. Um, we're called to work six days and rest on on the seventh. We're not we're not told to work three day weeks or four day weeks. We're told to work six days a week and then rest on the seventh. Mm-hmm. Whether you're working for yourself or someone else, but how, how many people even listen to this podcast can honestly say they work six days a week? That's God's creational mandate. We, we hear of people retiring in their early fifties and. They basically work one day and rest seventh. That's contrary to God's creational uh, mandate. That's contrary to to the law of God. It's not good for you, and it's not good for others. Um, a man should have the reward for his labor. Don't muzzle a you know you don't muzzle an ox while it's laboring. Like if you're going to labor, there should be a reward for it. There's a we could call this a, a an incentive that God gives us for for working when. This is the problem with slavery. There's no incentive to your work. But the worker's worthy of his his wages. There's lots of biblical principles that that cannot be tossed aside. So we're also called to to render to Caesar that which is Caesar's. I think I read someplace that the the Roman tax rate in the first century was hovering, and, and I could be off a little bit on this, but just speaking in generalities, is, was around like 1%. Well, look at our um, our modern era. People could be taxed 25, 35 into the 40 percentile mark on their income tax. Then when you get your take-home income, you then have to pay property tax out of that. You buy a vehicle, you have to pay tax on that. You buy gas to fill the vehicle up, you have to pay tax on that. You resell the vehicle, you have to pay tax on a used vehicle. So if a vehicle is sold five, six times before it goes to the scrapyard, mm-hmm. the the government could hypothetically collect more tax than the original purchase price of the vehicle. So there's just, I, 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 I would think, and, and I, I think my rough estimates would be fairly accurate, that for, for a lot of people, they're probably paying somewhere in the range of 45% of their wages to some form of taxation, maybe even upwards of 50% to some sort of taxation and look where that's gotten us in our country as a result of these ungodly lockdowns, which are complete violation of God's laws in, in the area of healthcare. We have we're riddled with massive inflation. You know, over the last sixty-ish years, you go back to the nineteen sixties. So you think the sixties, seventies, eighties, nineties, two thousands, two thousand tens, two thousand twenties. Over the last sixty years or so, the average inflation is somewhere between 3.1, 3.8%, depending on who you read. It jumped up in the early 80s. But let's just go with like 3.5-ish percent is average inflation. Now we're pushing 6%, and that's just the reported inflation. So basically that affects your buying power. So if you get a $10 bill, it doesn't buy $10 worth of product like it would have, let's say, in 2014 or 2015. Right. So we have inflation. Your money isn't worth as much. And that, of course, is, is tied into uh, debt. So we, we have massive debt in our nation. Uh, I think we're up upwards of $1.2 trillion now as a, as a, in, our, in our country in debt. That's almost double what it was even 10 years ago. So almost double, just in a little short window, just 10 years. That's, that's pretty quick almost doubled our debt. The implications of this are obvious. 
house prices are through the roof. A lot of young people are like, what do I do? I kind of feel like I'm painted into a corner. The, the houses are incredibly expensive. If I move to an area where the houses are cheaper, then the wages are, are, are way down. So they feel trapped. So houses almost are out of reach for, for average people, unless you get an early inheritance or you know, you got an uncle that loves you to death that has a lot of money and sends you a bunch of cash. It's very challenging for young people to buy a, uh, a house in this market. And on, on top of that, material prices are, are, are way up. I, I went to um, a, a big box store yesterday. I'm building a little greenhouse, and I, I just needed to buy uh, four hinges. I looked at a little hinge, a three-inch by a three-inch galvanized hinge, 12 bucks. Yeah. I needed four of them. I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm not. I, I went and got some regular steel ones. They were still almost five bucks each. I figured out. I'll throw some oil on them or something if they start to rust. But 12 bucks for a hinge? Like, come off of it. And and then we have uh, food prices that are that are through the roof. The the cost of eggs, of milk. Uh look at how much money people make in a given hour and how many groceries that buys. Not very much. Uh investment um uh, investments fluctuate. People are sometimes a little bit scared to invest because they never know whether they're going to they're going to gain or lose. Fuel prices are up. Now, part of that is always ridiculous carbon fines. We call them carbon taxes, but they're just fines. It's not a tax, by the way, if it's not benefiting the the um, the, the taxpayer. It, a, a taxes are exist to support. Uh, structures, social structures that, that benefit the citizen, roads, infrastructure, public worker salaries. As soon as taxes are used to manipulate you or coerce you, let's just call them what they are. Those are those are fines. It's like we will penalize you until you do what we want you to do. What are you doing with these carbon fines? No one or yeah, carbon fines. No one even knows. It's not paying for anything that I'm benefiting from. It's a fine. So I'll call it a tax. Um Income tax, I mentioned it earlier, property tax, sales tax, capital gains tax, investment taxes, resale item taxes, death tax. You get taxed when you die. It's just unbelievable, all these taxes. And then we look at how this money is spent. Now, you know, a lot of it's spent on good things. We want good roads, stoplights, police services, firefighters, ambulance, you know, these sorts of things. Streetlights, you know, it's it's great. These are these are good things, but yet it's so maddening when you see your tax dollars being spent to chop young women's breasts off who want to transition to butcher babies in the womb who are made in the image and likeness of God. It is freebies. Prime minister goes on vacation, pays for his vacation, but there's a hundred and something thousand dollars in security uh, fees. Foreign wars, sending all this money and equipment over to 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 the Ukraine, endless bureaucracy, permits and fees for all sorts of stuff. And the the state has gotten bigger and bigger and bigger, depending who you talk to. In our own province, for example, somewhere between 25 and 30 percent of the entire workforce works for the state. How do you fund that? They're public sector employees. You add up Police, fire, ambulance, elected officials, all the teachers, publicly funded university professors, street cleaners, public works officials, um, conservation authorities, on and on and on and on and on. Pastors? Oh, no. Wait, no. sorry. <laughs> no. <laughs> but if, if one in three workers get their salary from tax dollars— you can see why the, the government has to exact such a massive percentage of our income in the form of taxes to pay for this behemoth state within which we live. And public sector workers, workers are going to vote for the government that is most likely to give them a raise, right? Yeah. And people that don't work are going to vote for the government that promises them the most handouts. And special interest groups are going to tweet out favorable tweets towards whatever government 
gives them the most handouts. So it's a corrupt system. You're forced to pay tax. I mean, try not paying your taxes and see what happens to you. Mm-hmm. Like there's no leniency there whatsoever. I mean, you could practically kill someone and get away with it. But if you if you are caught evading taxes, whew, you spend the rest of your days in the in the clink. So this this is the corruption of 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 the moment, Chris, and just lot lots and lots of stuff in the um, you know in the budget we could talk about that's kind of a violation of of God's laws. Yeah, do you want to get into the budget? Like, talk just broad broad sweeping for us. I haven't actually read the budget. I looked over on your Facebook wall this morning and saw yeah. a post you put up that I was like, I thought was a joke, but it was actually part of the budget apparently. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, okay, so we got re- the redistribution of wealth. It's ungodly. So the redistribution of wealth, they they increase our taxes. This isn't, people think this is just a political opinion. Oh, you're a conservative uh, guy. Well, I suppose you could call me that if you look at the political spectrum, and I'm not talking about the conservative party because I'm not a fan. But this is actually more about God's laws. You're literally taking people's money so you can give it to other people without their permission. So you go to work, you pay the government, and they decide who to give your money to. It's state-sanctioned theft. And it's all these rebates. Instead of just reducing taxes, if you have money to give people GST rebates, climate incentive rebates, grocery rebates, to pay for their dental care, to, to give the indigenous groups money for housing. Here's a genius idea. Stop taking as much tax from us. Let us handle our money ourselves because we know what you do. You take a hundred grand, you lop off your cut to pay for your behemoth government and then the leftovers, you dole it out to people that you think are going to vote for you. It's immoral. It's a redistribution of wealth and it de-incentivizes work. All of us, I'm sure, have had, I mean, I know in my own mind, I've thought, oh, maybe I could invest in this, or maybe I could buy this property and fix it and flip it, or buy this property. Yeah, you know, there's no point because I know I'm just going to pay capital gains taxes on it anyway. So it de-incentivizes work. Hmm. You know, you have you, people come up with a business plan. Now oh, maybe I should start a business selling, you know, X, Y, Z, and you you craft out your plan, and you're like, yeah, but it's at the end of the day, I got this fee and this permit and this inspection and all this taxation and all this, this bureaucracy, I'm just going to go work for someone else. So it de-incentivizes entrepreneurship. Like if people aren't going to make a, a reasonable return on the investment of their time, their talents, and their treasures, it's like, forget it. There's no no point in doing that. And I think anybody with a little bit of an entrepreneurial spirit has probably backed off from certain things that they could be investing in that would benefit society and supercharge an economy because they just know the government's going to steal it from them and then redistribute it to someone else. Massive increase in debt. What a joke. We live in a country where we have this social health care, which is complete garbage. Not because the people that are doctors and surgeons and nurses are incompetent. There's some great people in healthcare, but the the people they work for, the bureaucrats, the technocrats, the endless government red tape, it's a garbage healthcare system. It just is. You you go to the hospital. I I told this story a while ago. I was climbing a gate in the winter. I fell. I I thought I broke my ribs. I waited several days to even go to the hospital because I figured it's probably just bruised, but it got worse and worse. I'm like, maybe it punctured an organ or damaged my spleen. So I go to the hospital. I'm sitting in the this is in the middle of the night. I'm, I, I waited till it was basically dark out. I'm still sitting there for 10 hours, and there's maybe five or six other people in the entire waiting room. So I'm thinking, okay, so does it take you two hours to see every single person? But they don't care. Why would you care? You're not getting paid more or less. If I sit there for 20 hours or 10 minutes, it, there's no incentive to create a system where I get pushed through fast, where I get treated well. There's no incentive for the person checking my health card to to smile at me. They're getting paid either way. But I can tell you it's very different in private health care. Very, very. It's different when you go to the dentist office. 
Now they they bend over backwards to treat you like a you know a king. I if you know you know they give you a little bag after with the toothpaste and the new toothbrush and they're smiling and they're chatting with you and asking you about your family. It's a completely different experience when when they know you have a choice. So we have this crummy healthcare system, and what do they decide to do? The 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 commie party, the the communist light party, the new Democrats threaten the liberals and say, we need to provide, now we need to provide free dental coverage for people. So we've already proven over the past 50 or 60 years, we're horrible at managing public health care. So let's start managing dental care too, which has historically been a private system. So now they they take money out of one person's pocket and they give it to someone else. Hey, here, why don't you vote for us? Because you know we're going to promise to keep your kids uh you know teeth clean or whatever it might be and how how much longer is it going to be when you know um braces are a human right and 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 reconstruction of i don't know lip surgery is a human right botox is a human right everything seems to be a human right in in the mind of these global communists and the money has to come from somewhere I know a lot of people don't think about economics. When I was a kid, I never thought about it. Mm-hmm. But here's a basic principle of economics. Every single dollar the government offers you belongs to the taxpayer. They just take it from you, take a cut off the top, and give it to the people they like. And it's discriminatory is what it is. It's legal. It's legally sanctioned theft. So we have this redistribution of wealth, massive increase in spending. Now we're spending all this money not only in healthcare but dental care, climate spending. You know, because obviously the the sky is falling, so all this money they're allocating for climate spending, food stamps. That's what it is. Food stamps. What an absolute joke. One agency calculated that in Canada, this food price report that the average family of four. So you got mom and dad and two kids, or I guess nowadays two dads and two kids, or three moms and one kids or whatever it might be, they're going to spend just over $16,000 a year on groceries. Groceries are estimated to go up this year by 1100 bucks. And the government's genius plan, instead of reducing taxes and stimulating the economy, removing the red tape for, for uh, entrepreneurship, while certain people in lower income brackets are going to get 467 bucks as a grocery rebate. Those are food stamps. If you have to give people money to buy groceries, your economy is wrecked. And guess who's responsible for that? The people that are pretending to be benevolent. It's their tyranny and complete incompetence that's led to the rise of fuel prices that leads to the rise of shipping food to the manufacturer, that leads to the increase of food in the grocery store. But the geniuses in Ottawa, what do they do? Their their solution is we're gonna increase taxes to give you a little bit of money back so we can cover maybe a week and a half of groceries and we hope you thank us for it. It's disgusting and it's immoral. Money for woke causes. We're spending $350 million on opioid crises um, while we're continuing to legalize drugs and drive people into despair through lockdowns and the, the, the promotion of hopeless Darwinian theory in our schools. We're spending $158 million for, for, for suicide prevention. Again, in a culture that has no value on the church, you want to increase people's hope. You want to expand people's lives. You want people to stop murdering themselves. That's what suicide is. It's self-murder. You want people to stop smoking and toking and snorting and injecting. You lead them to Christ. That's, that's where healing and hope is found, Chris. We know this. That's where healing and hope is found. We have all kinds of people in our church that have come out of addictive behaviors because they found hope in Christ. But what's the government's master economic plan? We're going to buy your votes. And then how many times did you say this week someone you've heard someone on this on in um, the media use the word racism? Mm-hmm. 
happens all the time, right? Everybody's a racist nowadays. You disagree with someone, you're a racist. I have a friend in the US, Samuel Say, that was accused of being a racist. He's a black man. He's a, he's a white racist. This guy was calling him a white racist or something because he's, you know, you don't have to be white now to be a white supremacist or something. Mm -hmm. It's nonsense. Everybody's a racist. Well, this is a racist bill. We're going to take taxpayers' money and spend it on indigenous housing. Why? Why? Why is it we live in a culture where somehow if you're indigenous, you get free handouts from the government? How is that helping? Oh, you're not allowed to say that. It's Canada. No, I'll say it because it's true. Oh, you're a racist. I'm not a racist. You're a racist. When you're taking money from the public treasury and you're giving it to one people group, that by definition is racism. That's discrimination against people that didn't receive it. And frankly, it's an insult. If indigenous people, uh, especially the leaders of some of these communities, actually think about what is being done to them when they're being given free housing or free or taxpayers' dollars, it's, it's actually... Um, it, it seems like they're helping, but they're actually speaking down to you, looking down on you. It's like this, this, these people are losers. They can't provide for themselves. So we just got to keep shoveling money in their direction. That's an insult to indigenous people. The Bible says if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. I know what it's like. I know what it's like to go without. I know what it's like to be raised in poverty. I know what it's like to be raised in social housing. We were raised in social cooperative housing when we were children. I know what it's like to have uh, empty shelves, to, to drink powdered milk. I know what it's like to have two pieces of bread for lunch and one cookie and to have to fold up your lunch bag and bring it home because you're flat broke in a single parent home. I know what that's like in Canada. And all my brothers and sisters, or six of us, we know what that's like. We know what it's like to be embarrassed because you don't have money to play sports or you don't have money to buy the clothes that other kids in your school can buy. You know how you get out of that? You get a job. You finish your education and you get a job. That's basic Bible. If a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. You don't continue to, to send other people's money to someone and think if we just, let's send a truckload of money to some indigenous reserve. Okay, that didn't fix it. Let's send two truckloads. Okay, that didn't fix it. Let's send three truckloads. Mm -hmm. That didn't fix it. Let's send four truckloads. You have to encourage people, no matter what blood is flowing through their veins. And by the way, I don't even believe in racism because there's no such thing as race. We're all, we're all of one race. Every human being is made in the image and likeness of God. You remove the barriers to entrepreneurship. You encourage people to work. If people don't work, they don't eat. You know what that does? That stimulates motivation to, to work. This is how you, there's a principle in, in, in even in missiology, I remember reading about years ago, called the principle of redemption and lift. When you go into a culture and you preach Christ and there's mass conversions, everyone jumps up on average, not every single person, but as a whole, there's a, a lift. You, you go from maybe lower class to lower middle or lower middle to middle class or middle to middle upper. Because when you start to organize your life around God's law, you get out of debt, you exercise generosity, you work six days and you rest on the seventh. You teach that work ethic to your children. You don't give free handouts. You turn off the video games. You actually get up early. You have a good breakfast. You work all day. You come home, you work hard at night, you go to bed at a reasonable time, you worship on Sundays. Guess what? Everybody wins. Oh, but we wouldn't want to say that. That's colonialism. Mm -hmm. That's white supremacy. Okay. Well, look around you. you this antichrist ideology, there's actually a collection of them that's taking, it's not helping anybody. We're just descending further and further into the sewer. And there, there needs to come a point in time where people wake up to this reality. Preachers need to preach on this stuff. They need to preach biblical economics. They need to preach a biblical view of taxation. They need to preach a biblical view of work. Instead of, let's start another soup kitchen to feed 30-year-olds who, who have the capacity to work. That's not God. That's not what Christ did. You're not Christ-like. 
Okay, I'm calling you out. You're not Christ-like because you have a soup kitchen feeding able-bodied men who don't want to work. You're a blessing to people who are seniors and can't work or children or people that are maybe have a disability. Those are the people you should be feeding soup to or maybe even more than soup, your first fruits, a nice big steak and potatoes. But we live in a culture where we have this nonsensical view that anybody who asks for it deserves it. Anybody who's a have-not deserves to take someone else's money, even though they may have the capacity to generate their own. It's disgusting. And it's it's immoral, and it's ruining our nation. So th- these are some of the things I saw in the budget that I that I that I wanted to um, you know call out. Pardon my bluntness, but I hope, <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to say, uh, yeah. Sometimes we we think maybe we should video these things because you might see the animated Aaron a little bit more. So, but uh, <laughs> the red face, the <laughs> steam flowing out of the ears. It's passion, is what it is, um, and and rightly so because it is. It is helpful to see these things from a biblical perspective. And if you've been lulled to sleep to believe that these things are normal and are okay, you do need to wake up and realize this is not normal. And using words like it's it's state-sponsored theft is accurate. So the question I guess I have, our listeners may likely have is, okay, what's what's the takeaway? What do we do? Well, if if... If at this point everyone's leaning in thinking, okay, he's going to tell us how to fix all this, I can't tell you how to fix this because this is truly a systemic issue. I mean, this is an infection and disease in every institution, including in the church. I mean, the church is so incompetent as a whole in addressing these issues, the nonsense that's being spewed from some of our pulpits. The antinomian nonsense that's being spewed from some of our pulpits. This, you know, we're just just trying to get to heaven, man. You, just, the, you know, who cares about what's going on around us? We're contributing to evil. We're contributing to the rise of satanic forces in our culture. Well, ob- but we, but certainly there are some things we can do. But you have to think long term, man. You have to think long term. So we we have to pray because we need literally a supernatural, can't take the credit for it ourselves, move of God to bring about reform and redemption in our nation. We really, really do. Real change is very difficult, and I acknowledge that, but we can help by speaking out, speaking out publicly, calling people out. It's a lie. It's a lie. It's a lie. It's a lie. It's a word war. Mm-hmm. How? Where do we get this idea of love is love, this nonsensical phrase or hate speech? Because they just keep using it over and over and over again, and it becomes part of the public vocabulary. So we just call out lies, and we tell the truth. And over time, we want to shape, reshape the public's vocabulary. You think long term. You have to educate the next generation. I still don't get it. not trying to shame anybody. I still don't get it. I do not understand why so many Christians are not taking absolute full responsibility to educate their kids Christianly. Mm -hmm. It's been said many times by other people, you send them to the Romans, they're going to come back as little Romans. You do not have enough time between supper and bedtime to reverse the indoctrination. You have to take seriously homeschool, Christian schools. You have to take seriously. Your children are a precious investment. Cancel the vacation, get rid of the second vehicle, throw out your cell phone, sell stuff, downsize your house, whatever it might be. If that's what it takes to come up with the funds to invest in your children, do it. And churches um, and wealthy Christians should step up and help those that want to educate their kids in a Christian environment. And they know it costs money. So sponsoring kids doesn't need to be, it doesn't need to be some new program with a director and a charitable organization, we, it's so easy for us as Christians, you know, we, we want to do something. So we, we got to go start a new charity and hire a president and a director and raise funds. How about we just look around us and you see a family in the church. Hey, have you thought about sending your kids to a Christian school? No, money's tight. We'd like to, but money's tight. Okay, well, maybe I could help you. Nobody needs to know about that. Mm-hmm. So these are some some things that we we can do. As much as possible, don't support bad people and bad businesses. Don't vote for bad people. I I cannot in good conscience, for example, bring myself to vote for anyone who voted for the conversion therapy bill. I don't care what party they're in. 
you voted to declare God's word to be a myth in our country, you will not get my vote, period. Yep. You're not going to get it. Well, you're better than the next guy. Too bad. You're antichrist. Your actions are antichrist. There's a public record in our country that says you voted for a bill that declares God's word, God's creational laws to be a myth. Are you kidding me? You want my vote? You're not getting it. Mm-hmm. No way, Jose. You're not getting it. Public repentance would be super helpful in this regard for those that have, especially for those in politics that are Christians, that voted for this heinous, disgusting, humanistic, hedonistic, antichrist bill in the country of Canada. Form beachheads. Oh, the pandemic's over. We're just going to go back to our old way of living. Okay, fine. Go for it. See how that works out for you. Christians need to band together, support each other's businesses, move en masse to areas where their Christians are, vote, have children, run for office, get out of debt, provide each other with mortgages, lend to one another, like many historic Christian groups have done, instead of borrowing from the Antichrist all the time. Having hard assets, making sure that you own property, that all your money is not just tied up in uh, you know, some investment fund that can be frozen or taken from you tomorrow, like diversifying. These are just basic principles to help to provide somewhat of protection. Some, some are protective and some are more proactive. They're ways of building into culture. These are all steps that we can take. It's so easy to... to to feel when the pressure's off just to drift back into the old ways. Mm-hmm. And it's just unwise. If you're not living differently than you were before the pandemic, I think you're making some bad decisions. Hopefully everyone has learned some lessons from the pandemic in terms of the power of the Antichrist beast state and its propensity to evil and its propensity to control and its propensity to destroy life, to to pummel people with lies and to steal from the workforce. This is the kind of stuff that um, that uh, you know I think about a lot and hopefully more and more Christians are thinking about and then practically acting upon. And there's, there's a lot of there's a lot of podcasts, you know, there's a lot of sermons that have been preached on this. People might be like, yeah, I'm nodding. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Yeah, good, ready to go. Okay, and then flip to the next podcast and the next sermon, but don't actually do anything with Mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, then it's a waste of time. You want to shape your mind, but you also want to live differently. And there's some basic things we can do to protect ourselves and to also retake culture for Christ. And that's a good thing. Excellent. Yeah. When you push back against the darkness, it starts with where you're at, right? You start with your own life, dealing with the even the darkness in your own life um, and work out from there. So thanks, Aaron. Appreciate that. The insights on those things and pointing us in the right direction again this week. To our listeners, thank you for tuning in this week. We, uh, we hope that you'll subscribe to the podcast if you aren't already. And if you could take a moment to share it with people, that helps to get the word out. This podcast is found both on the pursuitofglory.org website, that's Aaron's personal blog, as well as the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. And we hope that you'll tune in next week to another episode of Leadership Now with Dr. Aaron Rock.